everyone. I'd like to welcome you to the Redemption 10P podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. I'm Warren Williams, and today I'm joined by ministry intern AC, a staple on the show, on the podcast, until so we kick him off, and that may come today, but we'll see. And I'm also joined by uh, Wilbur Kervich, pastor of Mission Collectives and Communities. What's up? What's up? What's up? So, we're still kind of moving along here, getting towards the the ender, the latter part of our True Story project that we've been, you know, reading through scripture as a church and, you know, understanding the Bible as a complete narrative and whole story. And now we're finally getting to the real part of the Bible. Just joking. Just joking. <laughs> <laughs> Just joking. But you know what? I'm kind of joking, but I'm also kind of half joking because, you know, we'll get into that and, you know, how sometimes we can kind of overlook, you know, the, 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 the parts that we've gone through already, um, you know, the Old Testament. But hopefully if you've been, you know, keeping up that you see how it's so important that we understand it and, uh, you know, place it in its, in its proper context. But, but today we'll be getting into Matthew, uh, Matthew 28 specifically. Um, and uh, before we get started, we always like to kind of start off on a, a lighter note, you know, kind of get you guys thinking or um, kind of, uh, you know, just, just having some fun with it. So uh, I, I have a question for you guys. You guys ready? Yeah. Yeah. You ready, Will? Yeah. Okay, Will, look, Will looks ready, so I'm going to just go for it. So uh, on, in the New Testament, we have four different Gospels, four different authors. Um, you know, each kind of does something differently, right? They're writing for different reasons, different purposes, which we will get into as well. But let's pretend that um, the heads of three major movie studios have tasked each of us to make our own unique film on the life of Jesus. So I want to ask, ask you guys, I'm going to ask you guys a, a couple of questions. Who would be your director? What would be the genre of the film? Uh, which gospel would you use as, the, as your source text? Uh, and who would you cast in the major roles? And you can't say Jim Caviezel because he's already been... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's already good. been done, all right? It's already... The passion has been done. And uh, so, you know, I'm going to get you guys... Uh, hopefully, we'll hear some interesting names, all right? Yeah. So, uh, AC, let's start off with you. Who would be your director for this film? Jordan Peele. Ooh. You know, he, he just directed Get Out. Very trendy pick. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. trendy. Um, because the reason why is because I would make it a thriller. Okay. Make it a thriller. Um, I'd use Mark because you know Mark. One of the distinctive things about the Gospel of Mark is that it's very action-paced. Okay. And he usually uses the word immediately. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I think that you could use that as your source text and make like a suspenseful thriller. Okay. You know, and Jordan Peele has shown that he can do. He can take like a like uh, he can deliver a social message in the subtext of a thriller. So I think that he could also do like a you know gospel message. Whoa, man! I mean, he's just, let's let's slow down. He just only he only did one movie so far. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm joking. That was a, it, it was a great film. Um, I guess uh, Will, who would you have as your director? Yeah, so I'm gonna go with M Night Shyamalan. Oh man, plot right. twist, big plot twist. Guy. Yeah, plot twist at the end, right? <laughs> and so I'm gonna choose. I'm gonna jump ahead. I'm gonna choose the book of Luke. Because in Luke, there Jesus flips a lot of things, right? Okay. So, so we see like uh, in, in Jewish cult- culture a preference towards men, but we see the elevation of women, right? We see a, a preference towards the rich, but we see an elevation of the poor. We see Jesus performing ministry holistically, not just in a spiritual sense, but with physical he- healing and restoring, um, you know, sight to the blind and, and these types of things, casting out demons. So lots of things were flipped on their head. And then, you know, we see the surprise ending of this isn't the coming Messiah who's this military political might, but the suffering servant who dies and then is resurrected. 
I guess I would go with like a Scorsese, Mario Martin Scorsese. You know, I feel yeah. like he he has a, a a a good storytelling ability in his movies. You know, it takes us like a, a good pace and very detailed. Mm. And you know, as I read through the Gospels, I see like a story being built. And I think he would really bring out all those uh, elements. So, um, so kind of the next question I had is like, what would be the genre? So, I guess I'll start it off. I just you know, as I see it as like a story, um, definitely something slower pace to capture like the details and the emotions. I don't know where that would act exactly maybe mm. like a drama, I guess, mm-hmm. that, that yeah. I would kind of fit into. And Scorsese's yeah. done that. Yeah. 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 Know, like his movie Silence. Exactly. It's a pretty slow pace. Slow pace. Explores these themes. Right, right. Yeah. Right. And capturing like all those interactions and, you know, the eating and all everything like that. So that would be my pick for genre. Uh Will, what what genre of film would you uh would you uh use to tell the gospel story? Uh probably drama as well. Okay. I think <clears throat> being able to yeah to see lives change as the story progresses would be is, is a very helpful would be a very helpful tool what about you AC yeah thriller man it'd be, thriller it'd be, it'd be a thriller yeah I can see that you know yeah. there's it's definitely a, a action-packed story right yeah. it's definitely a lot of action in there so um, which gospel would you would you use as your source text AC I use mark because like it immediately thinks so right. it's very like action oriented gotcha what about you will Luke with the the flipping of expected social norms. Yeah, you kind of touched on that too. I guess mm-hmm. I, I I probably uh piggyback off UAC and go with Mark, oh, Mark. You know, immediately text like you know. Yeah. He was taken here immediately by the spirit. Like you know, it, it's yeah. like, it, it moves. But if you're doing a yeah. slow paced thing, man, like and Scorsese always has a unique take. Maybe John might be something. Yeah, that's too. true too. You know? Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe. That'd be a better option for the movie I'm looking to make. Hey, what about this? Because John is very poetic okay. and creative. What about a Tim Burton take on John? Wow. Hey. Wow. It'll definitely be a lot of fantastical elements. Yeah. <laughs> no Johnny Depp. No, no Johnny Depp. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so who would you guys cast as uh, major roles? And you can just kind of, if you have anyone specific in mind for maybe Jesus or a disciple, you know, it can be so anyone. So the thing with like, um, that Jordan Peele did really well with Get Out mm-hmm. was uh, kind of twist things a little bit, you know, make you think. And I think that um, if we really wanted to feel the, the story and the way that the first century hears would feel it, um, I think that we have to step away from our familiarity with the gospel. What I mean by that is like Judas, for example, mm-hmm. we know he's the bad guy going in. So we would tend to cast like Steve Buscemi or some weird guy yeah. that would be like, nice. oh, that's the... But no, I would actually want to cast the roles to where it would kind of shake people's categories a little bit. So for like Judas, I would pick uh, Aziz, Aziz Ansari. <laughs> Because you would never expect him to be Judas. He would be like the favorite person of <laughs> the group cracking jokes. And so when everybody's like, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Nobody would be like, oh, it's Aziz. Right, you know, right, there, right. Nobody would there. Everybody would be shocked. Like, what? It's him? You know? And I, for Jesus, I would pick Dev Patel. That's the dude off of Slumdog Millionaire. Okay, Because okay. he just seems like just a, a, like a regular dude. He doesn't, There's nothing like, you know, he's not like this Christian Bale superhero looking right, person. Right, right. He's just a regular dude, you know? Well, I, I would have pick Christian Bale for Jesus. I'm just I'm a Christian Bale fan to be honest. Uh, I loved his role as the the Dark Knight and yeah. <laughs> you know how you brought that character to life. Just a off topic story. I did see Aziz and sorry once in New York City. Yeah. And I was like, hey Aziz and the guy just ran away. He ran? He ran into like some under <laughs> under underground bar. So you know 
interesting story <laughs> off topic completely but yeah that was my brief interaction with Aziz I'm sorry but Will do you have any characters or, or actors currently? No, I, just, I have a question though sure. you, you're gonna choose white Christian Bale to play Middle Eastern Jesus that's yeah like that's true you man you know what you know what <laughs> that's true Indian. yeah that's you know what true I mean? so, wow man wow you see that hey, I'm not trying to call you out on the podcast yeah, man. yeah sorry yeah, about did, that he did call me out a little bit there but you know it's it's all good you know what I'll switch it to Denzel man he's a bad dude yeah <laughs> Denzel <laughs> hey I would try to choose you know like um, you hear these stories in movies like with Blindside they just found this random dude to yeah. play the main character right like an unknown I think if you could do that um, with like an unknown Middle Eastern actor that isn't familiar I think that would be that would be uh, accurate so the unknown actor is yeah. who I'm choosing to cast. I like That'd that. Be good. I like that. And well, I'll definitely get you back for uh, calling me out there. Yeah, I know you will. Right? I know. <laughs> <laughs> we're moving on. Just moving on along here. So you know, we're approaching the Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and uh, you know, I really want to get into just how like we approach these, uh, you know, these books of the Bible because I think um, we have the uh, uh, propensity to maybe read them kind of like a bio a biography mm -hmm. so i kind of want to get into like why are th why are there four gospels um how and how do we answer skeptics uh who say we should not trust them as like historical accounts because accounts because they they may contradict um the, each other in certain parts they see yeah i mean it's a great question um i think here's the thing is that when you ask people the biggest issue they have or the biggest difficulty they have reading the Bible, one of the most common answers I feel is that it's written in a different time and culture. Mm -hmm. But what people usually don't say is that it's difficult for me to read because I bring my own culture to it. Wow. Hmm. And I think yeah. the Gospels is a great example of that because in our culture, the way we do history is like this neutral, objective, chronological order. Scientific, we, technical, yes, yeah, linear. Mm -hmm. But that's not how ancient history was written. Gotcha. You yeah. know? And also, too, like by, by nature, history is going to be selective. If I ask you guys, hey, what happened at at church on Sunday you know not only would you get different takes but there's no way that you could actually give me a full exhaustive summary of what took place because you would have to tell me what everybody was wearing right you'd have to tell me exactly what Ricardo said and everything the songs etc yeah, et exactly. right and then depending on who the audience is you know if Ricardo asked will how did service go as opposed to me asking my girlfriend, hey, how did service go? Mm -hmm. It's going to be wildly different Def answers true. because you're yeah. going to be looking at different things. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Will might say, well, Ricardo, your sermon went on a little bit too long and people were like, it messed up the parking situation. Wow. Wow. You know? that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he might say that. Amen. <laughs> he might say that. Okay. You know, okay. whereas like. I could talk to my girlfriend and she'd be like, man, Ricardo's sermon was fire because yeah. he hit this, this, and, this, and exactly. I've been dealing with this in my life. Yep. So, you know, so history by itself, you're always going to have to select certain hmm. material. And the gospel writers are selecting certain historical events and they're, they're <clears throat> arranging it in such a way to address a particular audience that has different challenges. Like Matthew's written to a Jewish, Jewish audience that right. has Jewish challenges. Luke is written to a more Gentile audience. You right. know? John especially is written to a Greek audience. So um, each gospel author has their own audience. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to selectively arrange the material in such a way to address those things. You know, so for example, some people say like, well, one passage there's one dude, and then another passage there's two people there. Ah, it's a contradiction. Is it one dude or is it two dudes? You know, and it's like, well, you know, again, let's say you're at church, and the whole highlight of your church, 
the experience on Sunday was you met someone, you talked to that one person, and you really hit it off, but he happened to have his wife with him. And so you retell that story, you could say, well, me and this dude were talking, and man, we hit it off for hours. Whereas, like, my girlfriend might say, oh, yeah, we, we talked to a couple. And then right. somebody hearing that later like, was well, it contradictory? Are we talking to one person or a couple? Well, the, I'm telling this story because the main highlight was our conversation. Right. As opposed, so, you know, there's, there's, it, it doesn't mean when you see these so-called discrepancies, it doesn't mean that it's not historical. Right. It just means that it's written in a different way than we write history today. Yeah, I, I think you really hit, hit on some major points there. Context is important, you know, especially as us reading this, you know, these books were written thousands of years ago, right? So, you know, to understand like what what was what was the author trying to do there right and you know whether it's like like a situation you run into maybe it says one person or two people it just still doesn't take away from the truth of like what's that said and the, yeah or the, that it happened like what the purpose the ultimate purpose was for that interaction so um this we have to just be careful not to get caught up in the weeds too much i think right. is what it is so uh well um i kind of want to i want to get into like how we read these by uh read these books and uh you know kind of avoiding approaching them as biographies. So, you know, we have a book like Matthew. Um, is it a biography of Jesus? And if not, like, how should we approach it? Right. So I think if we approach it like a biography, we're, we're disappointed really quickly because it's a horrible biography. Right. Right. If I'm going to write a story about somebody's life, I wouldn't like write a couple chapters about their birth and then skip forward until they're 30 years old. Right. 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 So I think just initially, like an initial look at the book shows that it's a horrible biography. So um, what we would say is that, uh, like AC said, it's it's written for a purpose to elicit a response yeah. from the reader. And so we can see that Luke is addressing the gospel of Luke to Theophilus to solidify his faith. Right. At the end of John, it says that, you know, we may believe he wrote these things so that we may believe. Right. We may have belief in Jesus. Right. And so there's a there's a very intended purpose for the writing of these books. Um, for me, I remember, you know, before I was a Christian, I'd received a Bible for Christmas. And I remember my uncle told me, um, you know, start start with the book of Matthew. And I remember thinking, well, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. You don't start a book in the middle. Right. Right. Oh, man. And so yeah. I tried to start in Genesis and I persevered through, uh, I think it was like Deuteronomy or Joshua and, and just hated it. Yeah. Um, but realizing that, <clears throat> you know, th it is an important part of the story. And if we miss what's surrounding, you know, before the Gospels and after the Gospels, you know, we can we can get lost in the story. So so understanding where the gospels fall in the story, what they're doing in the midst of the biblical narrative, um, you know, is really helpful in how we approach it. So understanding this long plan of redemption that God is unfolding throughout the Old Testament and that the culmination of this is this coming Messiah in Christ who is going to usher in the kingdom and, and fulfill these prophecies and and all these things that, that we'll get into. Yep. And uh, I think, well, you really hit on something there, like one word that we've used, um, you know, in our the missional training center, we've learned is charismatic, right? Like the, the, the books. Uh, invite us, it invokes a response. It should invoke a response from us, right? There's a there's a message behind us. It's not just we're reading a history book. It's calling us to respond, you know, in light of what's going on. So, Absolutely. Um, and I also think you really kind of uh, uh, touched on the dangers of you know reading, you know, the New Testament disconnected from the Old Testament, you know, and and 
just kind of starting in the middle of the story and you know trying to make sense of it you really mm -hmm. have to kind of go to the beginning i think that's that's really what we've been trying to just encourage people as we've been going through that's why we've been going through this this true story project right so mm -hmm. um you know ac how does matthew present jesus as the continuation and uh the fulfillment of the old testament story so how does it all tie together yeah so matthew's writing to this community of jewish believers and they're wrestling with this man because their faith and their identity and their culture has been the same for like a thousand years mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden and also too they've gotten a lot of trouble for idolatry right so they know that so it's ingrained deeply within them that god is one there's only one god and he's not you can't make images or statues or anything like that and then here comes along this dude a regular guy saying that he's god in the flesh right um and that um redemptive history is moving in a direction that they did not anticipate so a lot of the jewish community is going to be thinking like well what does this mean for our jewish identity mm -hmm. how is he our messiah and so on and so forth and so i think some of the ways that matthew presents jesus as a continuation of the fulfillment of the old testament story is that number one he begins with the genealogy you know and he begins with uh with abraham right you know and so when you again when you look at genesis Abraham signifies the start of God being on mission to reconcile all things to himself and not only doing that but partnering with a chosen people you know so all the Jewish people trace their lineage back to Abraham because that's like that's when the mission kicks off right. that's when they become distinct from every other nation and people group on the earth um, and so what what Matthew does is he connects Jesus all the way to Abraham saying number one like this is still part of the same story, part of the same agenda that God has, but just going in a different direction. You have the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks a lot about the law and he says, I didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Right. And then he even intensifies, internalizes and really raises the bar on what the law meant. So, you know, Matthew is showing that Jesus is not this dude who came along and said, you ain't got to worry about the law anymore. But actually, Matthew is saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of that law. You know, and he raises the bar ethically for his followers. Um, and and the, the big thing, too, and all the gospel writers do this, is that we talked about this before in a previous podcast, that Daniel chapter 7 really, really laid the, the foundation for the messianic expectations that right. people had. They were waiting for someone like the Son of Man to... Uh, remove all these oppressive Oppression, human governments right. and right. inaugurate this kingdom that would fill up the entire earth. And so what Matthew and all the gospel writers are trying to do is so that Jesus is that son of man. In fact, that's one of the Jesus' favorite titles is son, son of, of man. man right. You mm -hmm. know, and so he takes that title on himself to show that he is the fulfillment, that God created everything good, the fall impacted all of creation, God began a mission to renew all of creation using Israel as his partner. Israel failed completely in that, but Jesus fulfills Israel's part perfectly. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you kind of just made me think about something, and I know we kind of talked about this when we were doing the Chronicles podcast, and it just reminds me how every word in the Bible, it, it's it's telling us something, right? So when we see a genealogy in the beginning of the book, a lot of times we're like, oh, okay, like, what's that? But it's showing you how it all, it's all connected, right? Mm -hmm. That, you know, this goes back to Abraham, right? And, uh, you know, when you when, you, when we talk, when we think about, um, you know, maybe, or, or sometimes we try to think back, like, how did it, how didn't the people then 
see that this was, you know, the king that was being spoken about. And then we also have to remember the historical context. Like there were messiahs that came mm -hmm. before Jesus, right? <clears throat> False messiahs who, uh, you know, who, who claim people who claim to be the messiah. And, uh, you know, they were they, they started revolts or rebellions and they were pretty, pretty much quelled pretty quickly. Right. Or, you know, relatively quickly. And so you have Jesus coming again and almost, I guess, sometimes maybe some of the people are like, oh, here come, you know, here's another one. Like, you know what I mean? So, AC, like, how can you or can you tell us, like, what are what were some of the expectations, uh, you know, of the coming kingdom and how did Jesus challenge those expectations in the book? Yeah. So they're expecting, number one, for it to come all at once, you know, for the kingdom to come in its entirety and the whole world to be changed. Jesus comes along and says the kingdom of God is at hand. Or in Matthew, he says the kingdom of heaven right. um, is at hand. Same thing, just that Jewish people were kind of uh, about saying the word God. So Jesus said kingdom of heaven. Right. Um, and what Jesus shows in Matthew 13, he begins to give all these parables about the kingdom that really challenge this notion that it's going to come all at once. And that rather, like we talked about before in the podcast, there's an already but not yet element right. to the kingdom. That in his life and person and death and resurrection, the kingdom broke into human history. You know, the new creation. Um, and that's why Jesus is called the first fruits of the dead. Because his resurrection is like really the inauguration of the new creation coming into the world. And so we have glimpses of it. We have tastes of it. You know, through the Holy Spirit, we can experience God's presence in a way that we will completely. But it hasn't arrived all at once. That there is this, there's this gap between the old age and the new age. And this, there's this in-between, this already not yet aspect um, to the kingdom. Um, also, they were expecting the kingdom to come through brute force. Right. Which is easy right. to get that. It's, yeah, you, you read, understand. When yeah. you read Daniel, man, right. he talks about this stone just like coming down, setting right. up shop and like knocking, knocking everything out crushing. of the way. Yeah. 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 And, and, yeah. and enduring forever. And you're like, so you think, oh man, this dude's going to come and he's going to light everybody up. Right. Like right. Alexander the Great has nothing on this <laughs> yeah. side. Yeah. You know? And yeah. yet Jesus comes with suffering love. Right. And every single time we read the Gospels that the people are about to like anoint him as king or they're they're getting into a frenzy, he like shuts it down real quick and goes away. Right, He's right. Like, no, that's not how I came. I'm coming through through dying on the cross. Right, right. Instead Sacrificial of as a, love. a political yep. ruler. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, within the book of uh, Matthew, we have some imagery of heaven and, uh, you know, heaven and hell. So, I, Will, like what popular misconceptions about heaven or hell um, or, or the, just the kingdom in general that may, we may have today that like the book of Matthew challenges. Yeah, I think um, definitely challenges the, the popular ideas of heaven where we float away to this disembodied place when we die yes. and we look like li little angel babies with harps. Right, right. Um, We're just floating, <clears throat> floating up there. Yeah. Yes, yes. Disembodied, right? Angel like, babies with harps. You know, um, <laughs> we had a... Uh, Dr. Vincent Bacot describes it like um, Jesus doesn't imagine these things or, or foretell these things as like the end of Star Wars where the Death Star blows up. Like right. that's not how the earth ends, right? Everything is renewed. It's not destroyed. And so I, I think that's one of those things in that, you know, this idea of heaven is distant and afterlife rather than the idea of this, this kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God as AC described is something that we are to embody mm. on earth, on earth right. now. 
right? That we are to be that, that community of believers who are a foretaste or a glimpse or a preview or, you know, a Costco sample or any of the images <laughs> that we use to describe, right? What it will look like. And, and Jesus leads us in that, right? And so we see this in the miracles when, <clears throat> you know, Jesus is, is inaugurating this kingdom and in the coming kingdom, there's no sickness. So he heals those who are sick, right? There's no demonic possession. So he casts out demons, Right. There's like no, um, you know, hunger. Right. And so right. Jesus feeds people. Right. He, he starts he's embodying this coming kingdom. And I think, you know, that we see that as as uh, an encouragement and, and you know, um, it's contrary to, to like popular ideas of what heaven is, where it's like we got to wait for it. Like, no, right. this is this is something we embody now. Yeah. I, right. This is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause otherwise, you know, I'm thinking like otherwise so Jesus would have yeah. went around just forgiving people's sins. Yeah, if it was just a spiritual thing where you disembody and go out right. later, but no, he's healing people yeah. physically. Physically, and even right. on the Beatitudes, he says the meek will inherit not another world, right. but the earth. The earth, the earth. Yeah. Like that's the end goal of history is that in the kingdom will be here on earth. Matthew twenty five, when he sh- separates the sheep and the goats. Yeah, you look at the language he says. He says to the people who've done well, come in. Hmm. Right, and he's saying this on earth. When the Son of Man comes to earth, he says, come in, hmm. and he sends away. The people who are going on the outside. Right. He doesn't say, okay, those who have done well, let's dip out of here now. And yeah, it's time to go. Yeah. 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 Hop in the spaceship and let's go. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it's so huge. And, you know, I think just uh, um, personally understanding this has been so huge because, like, it calls you into action rather than you know, uh, a stagnation, right? Which you're, what we call like your save stick. Like I'm saved. Well, you know, I'm just going to exist until we die and float away. Like, no, there's a call to action now. We're called to be foretaste now, right? So um, it's, I think that's just really key, you know, to, you know, understanding, um, you know, our roles and vocation and life here on earth. So um, yeah, just continuing on. I want to take a look at Matthew 28, um, I'm not going to read through the whole passage. You know, we, 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 what we see going on here, we see the resurrection. Um, uh, Mary Magdalene has gone, you know, goes to the tomb. She looks to prepare or, you know, look for the body of, of Christ and he's not there. You know, she's told that he's risen. Right. And, um, we see, uh, 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 you know, the, the, the guards or, you know, the, the elders and chief priests trying to concoct a, a story that, you know, his body's been stolen because, you know, they know that this will definitely disrupt, you know, cause some disruption um, in their society. And also towards the end, I'll read the Great Commission because I, I think this has really been, you know, part of our Christian culture. It's been a, um, you know, a means to send out missionaries and, you know, to send out uh, a people across the world or, um, you know, wherever they may be sent. Um, now it says, uh, I'm, re- I'm going to read from verses 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end. So that is what is commonly referred to or uh, as as the great commission, right? And so um you know we see this passage and I think we have the tendency to 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 read maybe a couple words here and there and create our own uh you know theology I guess of what it means to to be sent, right? We may stop some some of us just stop at the go part, right? You know, just go, go. 
So um, I want to get a I want to help you know people to get a better understanding of this. So like there's been a lot of debate on you know what do we call this this chapter? Some people some people call it the Great Commission. I'll just call it the Disciples Mandate. AC, can you tell us like what is Jesus commanding us in this chapter? So um, you know he's using the imagery from Daniel seven. All mm-hmm. authority has been given to me. Right. That's exactly what it says in Daniel seven. And so you got to think the disciples are like. All right, bet. So you had to die and do the resurrection thing, but now we can crush the Romans. Right. All authority has been given. So what are we going to do with this authority? But he doesn't turn around and say, "So pick up swords and right, know, right, go no. to get ready for battle." Yeah, <laughs> he says, uh, you know, go and make disciples. And in the verb tense, um, the the imperative there or the command is to make disciples. All the other verbs are kind of I forget what the word's called, indicative, or I'm not sure what it's called. Yeah. But, um, the, the main command there is to make disciples. And so it, it could read, as you are going into the world, make disciples, teaching, baptizing. Um, and what you see in all of Matthew is Matthew really takes this really common relationship that they would have known then, which is this disciple-rabbi relationship. Right. And, he, and Jesus reshapes it. So like in Judaism... Rabbis didn't go around asking for disciples. They would go and apply. Like we apply to go to a school or right. something. They would apply to go and sit under this rabbi mm-hmm. for a while. And it would be centered around the law. So the rabbi and the disciples would sit around and talk about, you know, what the law means and how it applies to life. Um, and then there would be this transitional period where some disciples would go on to become rabbis. Um, and they're um, they're looking for the end. So as they're reading the the, the law, the Torah, they're, they're anticipating the end. They're anticipating the kingdom, and so on and so forth. That whole paradigm, Jesus completely switches. Right. So now instead of being centered on the Torah, on the law, it's centered on Jesus. They're calling him Lord. They're not calling him Rabbi. Right. Except for one. Except dude. one. Yeah. One dude calls him Rabbi. Yes. yes. And that's Judas. Judas. Because right. he doesn't get it. Right. But everyone else calls him Lord because it's like we're not sitting around talking about the law. We're talking about Jesus. Right. It revolves around him, and also um, they're part of the end. Instead of looking forward to the end, now they're part of the end where the kingdom is coming into the world. Um, and also that they're they're not really students there to learn they're servants hmm. you know they see Jesus Lord and and their whole mentality as a disciple is to is to serve as opposed to the disciple and the other paradigm is they're there to learn right they're there to right. learn um, and then also too like the, the disciples could like they could graduate to become rabbis but in this sense you never, you never graduate. You never graduate. From being a right. Right. Now, even if you're a pastor or a deacon, an elder, whatever. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You never get to this point where you're no longer a disciple. Well, you've arrived. You've yeah. arrived. Yeah. You've graduated. Yeah. yeah. And now That's you're good. accumulating yeah. your own disciples. Right. So you're always a disciple. Right. You're always a servant. You're always learning. You're always centered around around Christ. And so I think what Matthew 28 is doing, Jesus is trying to say, now go and form communities of making disciples. Yeah, that's that's excellent, and uh, I think it's just it, it'll help us. I think uh, approach you know mission or how we live missionally a lot better. You know, understanding what this uh, you know what the scripture is calling us. How how it, what are the implications of the scripture? So, um, one thing, another area that Matthew kind of or touches on that um, I guess a lot of people would say that you know this is a, a, a topic that's mostly found in James. But, you know, Matthew kind of talks about in obedience, right, and how it defines our community of faith. 
So, Will, can you kind of talk on, um, you know, what does Matthew have to say about obedience and what are the implications for us today? Yeah, I'd rather not because it's really scary and convicting. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I've realized that I've realized that I have learned my faith to a large extent growing up through the eyes of Paul. Yes. And historically through the Reformation and a reaction against good works. And so now we absolutely believe and affirm, you know, we are saved by grace Grace. alone, Mm -hmm. through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? We affirm these things and we believe them deeply to our core. But we also understand that as with anything, when it's taken too far, there can be areas that are problematic. Okay, now I'm not saying heresy, but what I'm saying is for a lot of people, there can be this idea that like, well, I'm saved by grace alone. All of my works are filthy rags before the Lord. So basically what that means is I believe in Jesus, I get out of hell free, and I can do whatever I want. Right, right, right. right. And so when we approach this gospel, Jesus doesn't say any of that, right? Jesus says these really, really scary things like, if you did good things to poor and vulnerable vulnerable people around you, you did those for me and you're welcomed into heaven. And if you didn't, you can go to hell. Right. And so and so we're left struggling with this because there is the reality of of Ephesians two, eight, nine. And I think one of the things that helps is um, uh, there's an author who describes it as like we are saved by grace for good works. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're not saved by these good works. But we see Jesus continually throughout not only Matthew, but the gospel saying like, hey, what you see me do, you go and do. Right. 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 In 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 serving the most vulnerable and coming on alongside the disenfranchised and working towards not only, you know, spiritual gain and spiritual growth, but also, you know, economic flourishing, um, you know, physical restoration, you know, all of these, the holistic aspect um, of this, you see Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, like AC described beautifully, like raising the bar. So it's not just, hey, great, you didn't cheat on your wife today, but did you commit lust? Yes. Right? Hey, good job. You didn't murder someone, right? Like how low is that bar? I made it through today and I didn't murder someone, right? Like. I, I can do that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But Jesus yeah. says, well, did you call anyone a fool? Did you have any right. anger or hatred, hatred yes. you know, towards yeah. them in your yeah. heart? And so it's not that he's erasing this law. He's embodying the law. Right. And he's raising the standard for us because he's getting at the reality of there is a relationship between God and man. Right. And God is after that relationship. He wants to be Lord of that relationship. And I know that you know we like to push against the individualism, but the reality is the community is made up of individuals right. who need to choose to bow in obedience to the Lordship of Christ. And, and, and Jesus calls us to that and he embodies it throughout this gospel in these very you know scary ways as we realize that we have sin and that we right. do fall short, which you know hopefully we follow the example of so many people who are caught in sin throughout the gospels and throw themselves at the feet of Jesus yeah. and worship him. Yes. Yes. And uh like you said like Jesus didn't like grace isn't just now uh you know get out of jail. Oh, well, I see grace is not an excuse for us to just kick our feet up and you know and and not do anything, right? Or to right. sin, yeah. you know, yeah. endlessly. Um or, or and I want to add yeah, this real yeah, quick. Sure. Or it's not it's also not just I'm saved 
Now I get to chill. Right, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm yeah. saved and the world is evil, right. so I create my holy huddle of be- people who are like-minded and, you know, would never say potty words like I would right. or whatever, right? But no, there's this call, like, in Matthew 28 of right. going out and embodying going. this. Exactly. I, I, I think a good example of that is in the movie The Matrix. Mm. Ooh. So here's Neo, right? He's saved, in a sense. He was enslaved to a, to a, to a foreign entity, to the technology and mm-hmm. robots and stuff. The moment that his eyes are opened and he begins to realize that there's a true story of the world he had no idea yeah and he realizes his place in that story it immediately goes into mission it's not this point where it's like cool now I know that the world really sucks and like there's robots that suck <laughs> yeah. the life out of us yeah cool I think I'll go to Starbucks right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm know? good I know yeah. like, like good luck know. guys yeah, like, let, yeah me, no. let me go to my corner of yeah. the universe where the robots aren't that bad and just kind of make a good life for myself right. now that I know the truth and I've been converted and, and everything no he's like now it, it necessitates right. that I be involved mm-hmm. in this mission to restore humanity and it's the same way with us when we become Christians. It's not this sense where it's like, cool, now I don't have to worry about hell. Now I can do what I want and just kind of like go to church right. and make sure I'm checking off little boxes here and there. But now now that I've been converted and I see the true story of the world and find my place in it, now it thrusts me into this mission. Right. But the difference between the Matrix and the Bible is that in the Matrix, there's no God telling you, I'm in charge of this mission, do it this way. But with us, like it's God's mission. Right. And so if we're gonna follow him and be his believers, we have to be obedient. Right. Like well, you can't just right. do your own yeah, thing. Yeah, you can't just do your own thing. You yeah. have to be obedient. Like and that has to define your life. Right. You know? Um, it, it's one thing if like you're like, Oh yeah, I know I'm obedient and so you pick and choose areas of your life right, where right. you're obedient as opposed to saying, No, my work is worship and obedience. My family is hmm, worship right. and obedience. Wow. Every part of my life, even sports and art, it's is worship, worship and obedience. And does obedience define every aspect of my life, or is it something else? Right. Yeah, I think it's so important. Uh, will you have something to add? Yeah, so I think, if that's okay. No, go ahead, man. Go ahead. So I think that this is like, this is clear. Right in the Gospels, and we talk about, like I said, like you know, I learned faith through through the lens of Paul, but Paul affirms this as well. Yes, right. And the verse that people would go to, Ephesians two eight and nine, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing; it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Right? Clear, right there, not a result of works. Verse ten. For we are his workmanship. The original Greek word here is poema, the same word where we would get poetry from. Mm. Created in Jesus, in Christ Jesus for good works. So often we remember yeah. eight and nine, but we, right. forget, it's, we divorce it from 10, right? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Mm. And so I think this is the model that we see in the matrix. This is also the model that we see in the gospels of these people who have this encounter with Jesus, Mm. right? And they can't help exactly like AC said, they can't help but But say, you know, we, uh, we just had Ricardo spoke about uh, Saul's conversion Mm -hmm. on Easter, right? When people have an authentic experience with this resurrected Christ, their life can't help but change yeah. and it impacts yep. everything, right? Yeah. They're telling people, they're living different, they, you know, every area, just like you said. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's so true. And I think sometimes we have uh, the tendency sometimes, you know, to to kind of shun obedience, right? Like, you know, Grace, you know, Grace, but I think you guys have really touched on how important it is, you know, to live our faith and how important obedience is and living out our faith. So um, you also kind of just 
wrapping it up here and um, you know just kind of getting some implications for us today um, you know as a community of faith and redemption um, you know either you got either one of you guys can take on this question like how do you feel the spirit is calling us to respond you know in the face of well, well just Matthew. looking at how yeah. Matthew ends right. Matthew 28 ends with Jesus saying make disciples mm-hmm. but that's just a throwaway at the end of the book if you read the whole book through the lens of how it ends you see that Jesus is very carefully teaching them how to be a community mm. of disciple makers. And then Matthew 28 then is not a throwaway line at the end. It's actually the capstone of what the author's been doing throughout the whole book. If that's the case, is Redemption Tempe a community of disciple makers? Hmm. You know, and so questions I would ask, because you start thinking, well, I don't know, are we? I mean, we, we listen to the Bible. I'm, I'm right. listening to this podcast right, right. now. <laughs> you know? um, I, I would ask questions like, are you going to an RC? Mm. Are you committed? And if so, what does your RC look like? Right. And who do the people around your dinner table look like? Because if they only look like you right. and your demographic, then maybe there's not discipleship taking place. Right. Because when you look at Titus, Titus talks about older men discipling younger, younger men, men, older, older women, women yes. discipling yeah. younger yep. women. Yep. And so, you know, I would love to see this multi-generational discipleship taking place in Redemption Tempe. We're a young church. Right. You know, there's like maybe four or five people in their 70s. You know what I mean? <laughs> but what would it look like as a younger church to actively seek out people older in the faith wow. and make them part of our lives, not just someone like, well, I go to their RC or right. I talk to them on church at Sundays or something. Like I see Andy Carrillo and I'm like, oh, here's an older person. Right. Hey, how you hey, doing? Hi, cool. Yeah. I got my check mark on. You know what I mean? But no, yeah. like what, is it, what does it look like? To, to have this uh, be a, a part of a community and the people who are regularly involved in your lives, people that are older than you in the faith and have walked the walk longer than you have and learned from it. And not only that, but also actively seeking out people who've been in the faith not as long as right. you have, reaching out and discipling them and mentoring them. And so you have this, this, this like multi-tiered level of discipleship taking place within the community. Yeah. Well, do you have anything to add there? Yeah, I think that's really, really good. Uh, the 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 only thing I would add to that is like in the midst, uh, in the midst of disciple making, in the midst of meeting a small group. You know, we I feel like we do a lot of things, and we have people that know scripture well, and we have people that study theology and study theology well. Um, in the midst of all of that, that we would we would continue to worship at the feet of Jesus. Yeah, you know, we yeah. see this. Um, throughout scripture where there's just like people are just compelled um, because the spirit has stirred their affections for Christ, you know? And I'm sure we can all think of those people in our lives that we know, like you're around them and like you can almost smell Jesus, right? right? Like right. they spend so much time with Jesus that it's like, it's it's seeping out of their pores. And my prayer in the midst of going, in the midst of serving and, and growing in diversity and obedience, you know, and all of these things yeah. that we talked about that like that would be propelled because we love Jesus, yeah. you know? And I think um, for myself, I'll speak for myself, I can get caught up in the, oh, this is an interesting theological fact. And yeah. oh, we gotta be these, you know, justice-minded and, right, you know, right. we gotta do, you know, and all these things, but like, you know, it's almost like, hey, hey, slow down, buddy. Like, yeah. all of that is good when it is, centered, you know, yeah. centered and, mm-hmm. and, and propelled forward yep. by Jesus. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you guys really touched on some great points there. So, and it's just a reminder to us all that, you know, um, we have to be intentional about, you know, re- making those relationships happen because, you know, our natural tendency is to 
gravitate towards what's comfortable, right? That's what the culture kind of tells us. And, um, you know, at the same time, you know, we don't want to get caught up in, you know, those things so much that we forget why or what's centering us or like we'll say what's propelling us forward. So, yeah. You, yeah. And you know what, too, yeah. man? Yeah. I, I, want, I want to ask a question, Warren. You always yeah. ask all the questions. Yeah, sure. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Will, if someone's reading Matthew for the first time and they get to chapter 25, mm-hmm. what do they do with that? What do you do with Matthew 25? Because we talk about Jesus being at the center, but Jesus says some stuff like, if you treat these people this way, you've treated me this way. What, what's, what's going on there? Man, we, we read it as an important part of Scripture. And um, I think that the common approaches are either we ignore it like it's not important, or it's the only part of Scripture, mm. right? And so I think we have to, we have to wrestle right jesus says whatever you did for the least of these you did for me if you didn't do it you did it for me that if that doesn't lord please let that never become comfortable for us right like that should constantly create tension